You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The selfish heart tears down. True freedom is a life governed by truth and motivated by love. Jesus is the truth, and it's His love that motivates us. His love compels me, and His love constrains me. It keeps me going on, and it keeps me from sinning against Him and doing these things. Jesus offers us both truth and love. And then He asked us to do the same to each other. God wants to do great things through you. God called Nehemiah to do great things. But as you'll see, the enemy will always try to stop God's plan. One of the greatest tools of the enemy is a selfish heart. In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach you how to throw off a selfishness and live in truth and love. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 as he continues his message, Trouble from Within. It's tough being a leader, because whenever a leader makes a decision, someone's going to be upset and not agree with the decision that the leader makes. Leader has to make many decisions. You would hope that the leader is praying and being led by the Holy Spirit to make the decisions that they make. You would hope that. But there are many decisions have to make. And you are all entitled to your opinion about decisions that are made here at Calvary Chapel. But what you're not entitled to, unfortunately, is when you dislike a decision is to go around the room and find others who don't like the decision and gather together people who all now don't like the decision that was made. You know what that is? That's divisive. That's division. And the Lord has an extremely dim view of division. What you need to do is pray that the leaders would make the right decisions according to the Holy Spirit. And would follow the Holy Spirit. And as long as the leaders aren't telling you and causing you to sin, that just simply means that their opinion to do something is different than yours. So be it. It happens all the time. You're entitled to your opinion. That's just my aside there. We need to be very careful when it comes to division and divisive spirits. We need to be extremely careful. We hope that we are all following the Holy Spirit. However, as a leader... Be the first one to tell you, I'm a human, and I will make a mistake. So hopefully I will recognize that mistake and be able to correct it and rectify it and pray. So that's why we always pray for our leaders and pray for the people who are seen to be over us. Nehemiah was a great leader, and I learned a lot from Nehemiah and his leadership skills. He was an incredible leader. He knew when to go to prayer. He knew when to encourage. He knew when to lift people up. And he also knew when to act on the word of God. And many times in this church alone, our leadership has had to make tough decisions. Decisions that might hurt one person or another. But we always tried to do it biblically. We always tried to keep the biblical mandate before us and keep personalities out of it. It's extremely hard to do. But that's what we try to do. Nehemiah was a great leader. What these wealthy Jews were doing were sin. 
And Nehemiah's anger was against their sin. And he knew he had the law on his side. Nehemiah knew he had the word of God on his side. This is why we must confront sin. Sin must be confronted. I love what Paul told the Galatian church in chapter 6 of the book of Galatians. He says this, in verses 1 through 5. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own burden. We need to be careful when we confront sin. It has to be confronted. Before we confront sin, we need to look at our own integrity. The scripture says, take the tree out of your own eye before you remove the speck in your brother's eye. I always like to say, take the railroad tie out of your eye before you remove the speck in your brother's eye, which means you need to look at your integrity and your life and your things if you're exhibiting the scriptures as what needs to be done. And then you can go to your brother. And then you can go to your brother. Nehemiah was really into the building this wall. He didn't have time for this stuff. He didn't have time for these affairs. But as a leader, he had to act. Sooner the better. I like what one commentator said. Quote, building the walls did not create the problem. It revealed them. It revealed them. And sometimes problems get revealed in the strangest ways. You know, what's done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. God will make it known. So Nehemiah consults with himself. I like that. Nehemiah talks to himself. He has a staff meeting. Look at verse 7. So serious thought. After serious thought. He had a Staff meeting, he thought with himself. He gathered all his minds together and said, okay, guys, what do you want to do? I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury, that's interest, from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. Nehemiah knows what to do. He knows what to do. After serious thought, he put all his heads together and in his heart and his head, he pondered on the situation. He was slow to anger, get any more angry than he already was. And in this beautiful verses, in Proverbs 16, in verse 32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who is rules his spirit than he who takes the city. He was slow to anger. He held it back. Although he was angry, he held it back. Then Nehemiah confronted and rebuked those who were doing these things. Look at 7 through 11. After Sears thought, let's look at 8. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And then I said, what are you doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the other nation, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, and their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. 
He basically rebukes them in six different ways through these scriptures. First of all, he rebukes their love. He reminded them that they were robbing their fellow Jews. They weren't going out and steering from the Gentiles. He probably would have let that go. But they were robbing from each other. They were stealing from the brethren. They were not dwelling in unity. Check out Psalm 133.1. Oh, how blessed it is for those who dwell in unity. It's like the oil coming down the mountain of Hermon, like coming down in Aaron's beard. How blessed it is. Unity is so important in the house of God. It is so important that we walk with the mind of Christ, that we walk in unity. It's so important. There was nothing wrong with lending money. But it was based on the word of God. The law of Moses forbade the Jews to exact interest from one another. They didn't violate God's law, but they were violating God's law. In other words, they had to be good stewards of their money. And thirdly, Nehemiah reminded them of God's redemptive purpose for the nation. God had redeemed Israel from Egypt and now was once again redeeming Israel from the captivity in Babylon. We need to remind each other that we have been redeemed. Believing upon the cross of Jesus Christ, accepting his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, believing that God raised him from the dead says, I'm saved, I'm born again, I've been redeemed. We need to reconcile that and remember that. Some of them were putting people back in the bondage. Why would you go back in the bondage? And I love what Peter says in the Jerusalem council. When they were saying that these new converts had to be circumcised, they had to follow the law of Moses. Peter stood up and says, how can we possibly put them in bondage when we or our fathers couldn't even do it? Paraphrased it terribly, but you can read about that in Acts 15. Why would we put each other under bondage again? I don't want to put you back under bondage. You've been freed by Jesus Christ. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Okay, you've been freed by Jesus Christ. Why would anybody and anything want to put you back into bondage? But that's what your enemy wants to do. He wants to place you back in bondage. But you've been free. You've been freed. This selfishness was tearing down everything that God was trying to build up. Everything that God was trying to build up, the selfish heart tears down. True freedom is a life governed by truth and motivated by love. Jesus is the truth. And it's his love that motivates us. His love compels me and his love constrains me. It keeps me going on, and it keeps me from sinning against him and doing these things. Jesus offers us both truth and love. And then he asked us to do the same to each other. You've given love on the cross. He exhibited love for you. Your sins are forgiven. Now, love one another. Show that love. Jesus said to his disciples, they will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other, the love you show, not because you giggle and hang around with each other, not because you do this or do that, but by the love that is shown. That's what it's all about. We need to do the same to others. And the fourth appeal was Israel's witness to the Gentiles. Again, in Isaiah 42, 6 and Isaiah 49, 6, it talks about the Jews being a light to the Gentiles, pulling the Gentiles into God's care, pulling the Gentiles into God's love. That's what they were called to do. If they truly feared the Lord, then they should honor him in front of each of their neighbors. If you truly are saved, if you truly fear the Lord and you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to honor him in front of your neighbors. 
in front of your friends, in front of the people at Wawa, in front of the people at Acme or wherever. You need to honor them. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. You can read it. It's far better to lose the money that you might have than to lose your privilege of being a witness to those who are not saved. You can always get more money, but you can't change your witness. In verse 9, we see the fear of the Lord. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because the reproach of the nations are enemies? This is not the dreaded fear of the servant and his master, but this is the loving respect as sons and daughters to God. You're still a son. You're still a daughter. The fear of the Lord means to seek glory to him in everything you do. Everything from the smallest little detail to the greatest grand event. Some of us think we can only glorify God unless we're standing in front of a whole bunch of people preaching the gospel. That's not true. You can glorify God wherever you are, in every situation that you are, wherever you may be. I don't care where it is, you can glorify God in that situation. It may be the most horrible situation of your entire life, but you can glorify God in the midst of that. Fear of the Lord means listening to his word, honoring it and obeying it. Oswald Chambers says this about the fear of the Lord. Quote, the remarkable thing about fearing the Lord is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I love that quote. I love that quote. Because Nehemiah's life was motivated by the fear of God. He never feared the enemy or what the enemy could do. It was the fear of the Lord that motivated Nehemiah to be a faithful servant of God. That fear, that awesome reverence we have for God, knowing that he's an awesome, wonderful God that has given us salvation and all those wonderful gifts that we read in the Bible that are ours through Jesus Christ. And we reverently fear him and love him and declare his awesomeness to anybody. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, you walk by faith. You trust God and he will deal with your enemies. And one day, all the accounts will be balanced. Isn't that what Matthew 6.33 says? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Nehemiah appealed to his own personal practice. He used himself as an example. He was lending money. Nehemiah had money. He was lending it, but he wasn't charging interest. Nehemiah's thought was, do as I say and do as I do. If your walk doesn't match your talk, then you're dishonoring the Lord. If you look at people and go, just do as I say, and then you go off doing something different, there's a problem there. Your walk must match your talk the way it must be. Interestingly, when we get to verses 14 to 19, we see Nehemiah once again giving all glory and praise to God for what the Lord has enabled him to accomplish. Nehemiah told the brokers of money to restore the interest and the security that he had taken from their fellow Jews. This would stop all the economical problems that were facing the Jews, but it would keep things from getting worse. He reminded them of the judgment of the Lord. Let's look at verses 12 through 13. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. 
We will do as you say. Then I, Nehemiah talking, called the priest and required an oath from them that they would do according to his promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out each man from his house, from his property, who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and empty. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord that the people did according to this promise. Wow. This caused the people to obey. They took an oath in the presence of all the priests. They took an oath in the presence of all the assembly. They had to promise to obey the Lord in front of everybody. Everybody. So that everybody could do what? Hold them accountable for their promise. Scripture tells us that God takes a dim view of those who make a vow and don't keep it. When Nehemiah shook the folds of his robe, it signified that God would do with the moneylenders if they didn't fulfill their vow. It was an act of condemnation towards them. We know that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not under the law, we're under the grace, under Christ. But we need to follow God's commands. Everyone said, Amen. What does that mean? They were all in agreement. So be it. Amen. When we pray, you all say amen. Uh, Sunday nights, we're praying. And when one's first person, we say amen. It simply means we agree with this prayer. Wherever two or more agree on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. Wherever two or more agree on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. We agree and we send it up to the Lord. They all praise the Lord together. What a great thing. Unity, once again. They praise the Lord in one voice. They praise the Lord in one accord. And as we finish out these verses, in verses 14 through 19, we see yet a great example set by my man, Nehemiah. I like this guy. I like this guy. Let's read the rest of the chapter. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued to work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. At my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and an ounce every ten days of abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on his people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Wow. What a great example Nehemiah is. He's feeding all these people that are hungry. He's giving away of himself and just gladly giving. Blessed are those who give. God loves a cheerful giver. If you have the gift of giving, the scripture says give liberally. That's what he says. He was a great leader. He was upfront. He was above board with all his transactions. He never asked for anything extra. He paid his own bills and he didn't explore the others for gain. He never used official expense account for his personal household. He not only paid for his own food, but he shared it with everybody else as well. Plus, he continued to work on the walls. I love this guy. 
This guy is one heck of a leader. I would ascribe to be like him. He is really cool. I love verse 19 as we end the chapter. He says, remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah only did everything that he could to please God. That was his one goal. Talk about the love of God or the love of Christ compelling someone. Nehemiah was compelled by the love of God. Compelled by the fear of the Lord that was in him. I love this. I love this. This is great. By the way, verse 19 is the fourth prayer recorded in this book. So how do we wrap this chapter up? How do we wrap this chapter up and move on into yet another crazy time? First of all, if you're in ministry, if you are a Christian born again into a living hope, you can expect problems to arise. Like a church, we can expect problems to arise from the outside, and we're seeing it now. Problems are arising from the outside. You see a lot of things happening in the news. A lot of things are going on. They're happening on the outside. But we cannot keep our heads in the sand. We also be able to look up from problems arising inside. But problems arise within. When that happens, whether they're outside or inside, then we must confront each problem, not only courageously knowing that the Spirit is with us, but we need to confront the problems biblically. We need to take the biblical mandates and apply them to the problems that we see happening. Before we do that, we all must make sure that our integrity is solid. We need to take the railroad tie out of our eye before we go looking for and pointing out specks in our brother's or sister's eye. And finally, we must see every problem, everything that happens good, bad, and indifferent as an opportunity for the Lord to work mightily through you. Every time something happens, every time something's going on, we must allow the Lord to work through us, allow the Lord to have access to all the things that he wants to do because he wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use this church. There's a reason we do these outreaches. There's a reason we do the things we do. The baptisms on the beach so people will see our witnesses. Tent outside, doing this, doing that, yard sales, whatever it is. So that the people would know we love Jesus Christ. And they, they would know that we are his. And we are just wanting to show the world the love of Christ. That's what it's all about. Every opportunity, every problem, look as an opportunity. Don't say, oh, boy, another problem coming up. No. Let's try to look at us. Oh, another problem that the Lord would be exalted. Another problem so the Lord can show himself strong today. Yeah, let's look at it that way. It would be great if we did that to encourage each other. Look at that as a problem, not as a problem that's going to hurt you, but as a problem that's going to glorify God. Now, I know sometimes if you told that to me, you need to duck. Because sometimes I'm getting, I don't want to hear that. But we need to hear that. We need to hear that because that's what the Lord wants us to do. Lord wants us to glorify Him in every situation, every single situation in our lives. That's what we have to do. You are Nehemiah 2, 17-18 says, 
Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When Nehemiah wanted to motivate and encourage people to enter into the work of God, he didn't only tell them about the great need in front of them, he also told them of the work God had already been doing. Do you see something that needs doing, that you'd like to bring others along to do the work with you? Pray and step into the work, and when God begins to move in great ways, showcase that for the world to see. You'll find that others want to jump in the work God is already doing, but it does take a person to lead the charge. If you're seeing the need today, that person is you. Thanks for joining us today on A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the rich book of Nehemiah, and you don't want to miss a moment of it. One way to be sure you can catch it all is to head over to assurehoperadio.com. Once there, you'll find all the ways you can stay up to date with the current series or go back and revisit another one. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back with more in the book of Nehemiah next time on A Sure Hope.